So I wonder if you'd turn with me to uh, Proverbs chapter 8, Proverbs chapter 8, and uh, I want to read the whole chapter. So let's hear the Word of God. Oh, before we do, let's pray. Father, as we come to your Word again, help us, we pray, to understand it, help us to give our full attention to it, help us to see things, perhaps wonderful things in your law that we didn't see before. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence, O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work, the first of His acts of old. Ages ago I was set up and at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth, before He had made the earth with its fields. Or the first of the dust of the world. When He established the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep, when He made the firm Uh, firm the skies above, when He established the fountains of the deep, when He assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress His command, when He marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside Him like a master workman, and I was daily His delight, rejoicing before Him always, rejoicing in His inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Now, O sons, Listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates. 
waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. When we looked at uh, Proverbs last time, we were treated to a fairly lengthy consideration of a certain kind of forbidden woman. And, um, and, and this, uh, this was the woman, if you look back to chapter 7, verse 10, and behold, this is the kind of woman it was. Behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of hearts. And it's not necessarily, as we saw last time, it's not necessarily that she is or was a prostitute. She seemed to have a, a rich husband. Uh, 7, 19, and 20 suggest that. But she dresses like one. And uh, she's wily of heart. And she uses those wiles to seduce young men lacking in sense, as 7, verse 7 uh, describes uh, the youths that gather in the streets. And of course, we could, we could apply this Literally, young men should beware of wily-hearted women. That's true, isn't it? But we shouldn't limit our thinking uh, to that particular case, because as we have seen so far, uh, the forbidden woman has been contrasted with another woman, the woman known as wisdom. And if you look back to chapter 1, we found this woman... Uh, crying out aloud. Chapter 1, verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So, this, is, this woman, wisdom, cries out to the fools, to the scoffers, to the, uh, to the simple ones, and, uh, and so we can take it that uh, though two women are described, uh, we, we don't need to take it literally. In fact, uh, they are personifications, to use a technical term. Uh, they are pictures uh, of people who represent something. On the one hand, you have the danger of foolishness that leads somebody into sin and ultimately onto the path to death like an ox to the slaughter, as we found last week. That's one woman, that whole area of temptation that leads people into sin. And the other woman, on the other hand, who is wisdom. And uh, this chapter, chapter 8, tells us about this woman. Because, of course, she represents the beauty of God's wisdom, which is the path to life. And as we shall see, this presentation of wisdom is actually more than just a personification. It's actually a representation of a life principle. And, in, and something else happens in this passage that brings into view an actual person not just a personification, not just an image, but a person comes into view who is foreshadowed in the description that is given here in these verses. So, this afternoon, I want to skip 
fairly quickly through verses 1 to 27, and as we shall see, that, that brings to the fore certain things that we have seen before. But what I really want to get to is verse 22, where something really interesting happens. And you'll see what when we get there. And then finally, we'll think about the, the final call to life that's in verses 32 to 36. So, three points, three things to think about. First of all, wisdom personified. The chapter begins, of course, with this picture of wisdom calling out. And right away, we're drawn to compare this woman calling out in the streets and in the high places with the woman that we saw in chapter 7. In chapter 8, this woman, wisdom, is calling out not in public, not in secret. So, verse 3 says this, uh, verses 2 and 3, On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals. She cries aloud. She's calling to anybody who's passing by. Seeking to gather their attention. Now, contrast that with the woman, the forbidden woman, who lurks in the darkness. who hangs around street corners looking for a victim. Wisdom is out in the open, in the busy places, in the gates, in the portals. And there's nothing hidden about her. It's a reminder that God, I think, wants to know, everybody to know about His wisdom, this wisdom for life. And it's not limited to certain individuals. Everybody is included. Look at verses 4 and 5. To you, O men, I call, and my cries to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. It's not just for the bright and the intelligent. Not to the elites. It's to all people. Wisdom is crying out. Wisdom comes into the world and cries out to the world, everybody, come and receive from me. And as you think about that picture of wisdom crying out to all and sundry, to the simple, to the poor, I can't help thinking about Jesus. Why did Jesus come? Did He come for the the religious elites? Did He come for the rich and powerful? Mark 2.17 says, I came not to call the righteous but sinners, sinners, the outsiders, the outcasts. It's not the people who think they've got their life sorted out that Jesus came for. It's not to the non-sinners that Jesus comes to the sinners, to the sick, those who need a doctor, these, those who need to be fixed. And that's the vast, that's the majority of people. There's a few elite people who thought they were above all that. But Jesus came for the vast majority, the real sinners, the fools, the simple ones. And isn't it true that in the early church, as the church was established, what kind of people were coming into the church? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27, Paul says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise brackets in the world. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong as the world sees it. That's how God works in the New Testament. But it's also true of how God works in the Old Testament. Wisdom, God's wisdom, calls out to the fools of this world, to the sinners of this world, to the needy of this world. Not people have got everything in their lives all buttoned up and, and tidy. Not to the self-appointed elites of the world. But he comes to f- fools like you and me with his wisdom and says, come and have it. Come and receive it. God comes and offers it to all and sundry, to anybody who will have it. He calls out in the streets and the high places. Isn't that what's behind our missionary endeavor? All the wisdom of God is found in, in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. And so we go to places to find people who listen to us. People think we're crazy and foolish and stupid. But no, it's God's wisdom. It's God. It expresses God's heart for those of you who are evangelists who like to go out and do these things and take these risks. This is God's heart. And it's expressed here in His wisdom. Well, there's a number of things that this chapter tells us about His wisdom, which is truly wisdom for life. Just let me quickly run through these things. Firstly, wisdom is trustworthy. Uh, It's not flattering or deceitful, verses 6 through to 9. It's straight talking. It's truthful. Uh, It's not crooked and bent. It speaks the truth about God and about us. And, you know, we're all sinners, aren't we? We But we're saved sinners, I hope, if you're a Christian today. You're a saved sinner. But when you come to Jesus Christ, isn't it true that there's, you come bent and crooked and there's a bit of untangling to be done in your life? And when you're in a tangled state, things that look straight look crooked to you. So when you're a sinner yet to be touched by the grace of God, you see the things of God and you think that is so stupid and foolish and nonsensical. It seems so twisted and wrong. That's, what, that's why nobody's coming. People in Sully Hill don't come to church. They think we're crazy. We're twisted. But here's a great promise. You look at verse 9. He says, all that they are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Now, it feels like that's it's kind of like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. If you have understanding, then you'll get wisdom. But it begins to, to explain to us how it is that as God comes in His grace and He gives us uh, some insight into the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and things begin to get straightened out a little bit. You begin to see so many more things that are, in a, that are straight, which previously you thought were crooked. They are straight to Him who understands. Get a bit of understanding. You begin to see the, the straight things of God. And so it goes on in a process of God, as it were, untangling and sanctifying you. What a wonderful thing that God does in us. Secondly, wisdom is valuable. Uh, verses 10 and 11, you, we've seen this before, this imagery of uh, gold and silver and jewels. 
Uh, it's lasting. It's not fleeting. Wisdom is lasting, not fleeting. And people, of course, strive after silver and gold and jewels or, or cryptocurrencies. I've got to think about cryptocurrencies at the moment. People seek after these things. They try and find whatever store of value they can find on this earth. But wisdom is better than any of that. Wisdom is more valuable than any of that. It keeps its value even into eternity. Gold doesn't. You leave it behind. Thirdly, wisdom is found in relationship to God. Verse 13, the fear of the Lord is a hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil. Haven't we seen this already? If you want to find true wisdom, you have to find God, and the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. And as you begin to love God, you begin to hate evil. And the two are mutually exclusive. One pushes out the other. Fourthly, wisdom brings competence. Look at verses 15 and 16. By me kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule, and nobles who, all who govern justly. When you have God's wisdom, you're able to do things better. And you, you can even do great things better. You can lead peoples and govern, uh, and govern with justice. And fifthly, wisdom is its own reward. Verses 17 through to 21. It changes your quality of life. My, verse 19, my fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield than choice silver. It profoundly affects the path of life. Verse 20, I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice. It brings benefits to you and to your family. Verse 21, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. You see how wonderful wisdom is? Don't you wish you had more of it? As you look at your life and you look at the state it's in, wouldn't you just want to, to go to God and ask for more of it? Go and ask God for more wisdom. He promises you'll give it. James chapter 1. Go and ask him. But there's more. And now we come to verses 22 on, uh, down to 31. And here we see that not only is wisdom personified but we see wisdom eternal and divine. In verses, verse 22 onwards, an interesting thing begins to happen. And we've been thinking about wisdom in the realm of everyday life, but in verse 22, the focus moves from our lives, lives here and now to creation and before creation. And it's at that point something particularly amazing begins to emerge in the text. Because these verses do not simply point to an image to provide a poetic description, but wisdom seems to be an actual person. If you look at verse 22, Solomon says this, the Lord, uh, quoting wisdom, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. And wisdom here is speaking like a person 
who is a possession of God. Now, that word possession is an English word translating a a Hebrew word, but um, it's a controversial uh, translation, I think. Uh, It's a controversial area of the Bible because uh, some people in history have chosen to translate it as created. So, you you see how it changes things. The Lord created me at the beginning of His work. Um, So, Arius, the heretic of the fourth century, um, uh, chose that translation because he wanted to deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Though he accepted that this verse was talking about Christ, he wanted Christ to be described as a part of the creation not divine. And that's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe today. So, sometimes you'll find that if you get Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, uh, they will turn to Proverbs chapter 8, which is baffling to most Christians because most modern Christians today can't be bothered reading the Old Testament. So, they think, well, what are we talking about here? And they're lost. And they bamboozle us with a, a bad translation. But a better translation is possessed, as it is here in the ESV. But there is actually another element to the story, which is, and if you look at the footnotes, if you have an ESV in front of you, you'll see there's a footnote because there is an alternative uh, word that could be put in there. Instead of being possessed, it could be fathered. The Lord fathered me at the beginning of His work. This idea of being brought forth comes here. And the reason that people think that is because the same uh, verb is used when Cain was born. And Eve, remember, uh, said, I have brought forth a son. That's the verb, brought forth. And here it's used in in Proverbs chapter 8. So, are you still with me? (laughs) I hope you're not too lost in the, the details. But let me just summarize it this way. This suggests that wisdom is not merely a creation of God, which would actually be an absurd idea anyway, if you think about it. You know, before wisdom was created, was God stupid? And if He was stupid, how would He know that He needed wisdom to create it in the first place? So, the idea that He created wisdom is nonsense. nor is it merely an attribute of God, something that He possesses in Himself of His essence, but it is something which He brings forth. And you see that, that term used in verses 24 and 25. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. I, wisdom, was brought forth. Or verse 25, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. In other words, before there was a created universe, God was continually bringing forth His wisdom. In one sense, fathering His wisdom. And so, what's being described here is a wisdom that is pre-existent, is generated and yet is eternally with God. I think what we're seeing here, let me just cut to the chase. What we're seeing here 
in this Old Testament passage is something that is presented to us in embryonic form, which comes to fullness and clarity in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. That there is a person, the Son of God, eternally generated of the Father, who is all-wise. And notice I'm not saying here that the one who is generated is embryonic. I'm saying the revelation of it is embryonic. But it comes to clarity in the New Testament that God the Son is eternally generated from God the Father. And this is a revelation, I think, an early revelation of the very Son of God. And notice how involved he was in creation. If you look at verse 27, when he established, this is God, when, God, when the Lord established the heavens, I was there. And then he lists a number of things that the Lord has done. And he comes down to verse 30. After all this list, he says, Then I was beside him like a master workman. That this wisdom was there working and bringing things about, bringing this creation about. This distinct person, separate from creation, yet intimately involved in, in it, in the creation. That it's out of God's wisdom that he is able to create such a beautiful creation with all its variety and color, this eternally generated divine person, a master workman who is working with his Father to create the universe in which we live. And I think you can see, having thought about this then, that is passages like this one that lie behind the great New Testament passages like John 1, 1 to 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He made everything, and without Him nothing was made. Or Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20, where Christ is pictured as being supreme over all creation and sustaining it by the power of His mighty Word. And notice, just as we finish this point, the relationship between the Lord and wisdom. In verse 30, he says this, I was daily His delight, rejoicing before Him, always rejoicing in His inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. This Son, this wisdom, is the delight of His Father, and the Son rejoices before His Father, always and so do you, do you catch a glimpse then of the, the wonderful fellowship that there is between the Father and the Son? This relationship of continual and perpetual uh, joy and delight between Father and Son and Spirit. And do you see the particular focus of the Son's joy? In verse 31, delighting in the children of man. Delighting in His inhabited worlds. The Son of God delights in the fact that creation contains the children of man, people made in the image of God. 
Wisdom is delighted in it. And sometimes I think it's so important to get that perspective that that when God looks at His creation, when God, our triune God, looks at creation, that there's great delight going on within the, the Godhead. Sometimes I think we get the wrong idea about God. We might be tempted to think that He only looks with disgust at us. And it is true that God hates sin. Verse 13 tells us that. But thank God that is not His only view of mankind. Because there is genuine delight in the people who bear His image. And there remains genuine delight that the image marred by sin will be restored and will be glorified to a much greater degree than was ever experienced by Adam in the garden. Yes, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they have have plans for for mankind in Christ Jesus. And it's His delight to be in fellowship with those children who have come and found this wisdom. Which brings us to our final point, which is really a point of application in the final few verses. The chapter, once again, calls us in verse 32 and 33 to pay attention, to keep listening, to receive the instruction. And there's a promise here, a twofold blessing. Blessed is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Verse 32 as well. Blessed are those who keep my ways. But the promise is conditional. You see, there's a choice to be made, and it's spelled out in 35 and 36. Two alternatives are presented. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love, death. This is a very practical choice. Am I going to seek out His wisdom, be active, search for it, make an investigation, really chase it down in my life? Or am I going to shrug? Am I going to give up? Am I going to ignore the voice that is calling out to you? I think there's a passage in the New Testament that fits very well with these last two verses. And everything we've said about wisdom this afternoon. It's a passage at the end of John's first letter, 1 John 5, 11 and 12, where John tells us this, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's, it's simple. It's a binary choice. It's A or B. It's, do, you have, have, do you want life? You have the Son. You don't have the Son, you don't have life. The Old Testament version of that is. Will you have wisdom? Will you have God's wisdom? This wisdom that's present at creation. And the way of wisdom is living in the grace and favor of God. The way of ignoring God's grace is the supreme act of self-harm. You injure yourself. And there's a path of death that leads to death. The New Testament says to have Jesus is to have life, eternal life. To ignore Jesus is to avoid life. 
Again, that's an act of self-harm where you live a kind of living death heading towards a state of eternal death. And so it comes down to this. Will you have Jesus Christ who is all wisdom, the eternally generated Son of God who is the very wisdom of God? Will you have God's wisdom found in Him? Let's pray. Father, thank You for your words. Thank you for its depths and its riches. Sometimes it's, we find it hard to understand. Oh Lord, we pray that you come to us with clarity about our needs of your wisdom, which is found in Jesus Christ. For his name's sake, we pray. Amen.